I'm in Lisbon in Portugal. Okay, so I keep fun. saying Lebanon. <laughs> I, and I don't know why. And I was like, she's not in Lebanon. And they're like, really? And I was like, yeah, definitely Lebanon. And then I was like, wait, no, so Lisbon. Pop over to Beirut, you know. Is that Lebanon? Uh, anyway, whatever. She doesn't even, clearly she doesn't even know her Lisbon. bloody geography. Wait, my geography is yeah, really like, bad, okay? <laughs> Mental health. Mm, 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 mm. Mental health. <laughs> Healthcare. <laughs> you guys just heard that live first time that that's happened. This is going to be our new intro for our mental health series. So welcome. Yeah, welcome, welcome. <laughs> I'm Zana. And I'm Jessica. <laughs> and we have a super exciting episode for you guys today. We actually are interviewing like one of our icons. Yes. Before we even like got her onto the podcast, we were such big fans of hers. Like, it was, it was like getting, you know, your favourite person ever on the podcast. We were like oh. next level excited when we got her on because she wrote this book that both me and Jess have read. It's called Going Under. Her name is Sonia Henry. And she is a doctor and she wrote this book, which is a fictional story, um, basically kind of n- navigating life as a resident and has some seriously good topics in it that resonate really at home with us. Um, and both of us actually shed many a tear in the book, which is very rare. I was bawling, mm. like absolutely bawling. And we actually told Sonia in a little pre-chat before this, like I struggle reading books and I have my whole life. I've mm. like, I must have like severe ADD or something because I just cannot focus. And I've only read probably about, oh, I reckon 15 books in my entire life and I'm 31 years old. It's pretty mm. embarrassing. But I started reading her book and I was absolutely hooked. And it got to the point where like I wanted to tell Zana about it, but I couldn't because I didn't want to ruin the book for her. And I was getting emotional and I was crying and I was like going <gasps> like while I was reading it. Yeah, and I, and was I was like, getting, I need to know. And she's like, I can't tell you. And I'm like, oh my God, I need to know. Oh, I was getting so emotional. And then I've just been fangirling so hard mm-hmm. since since this book. And we have her as our guest speaker. Yeah. What the hell? And turns out she's like a little nomad like us as well and is pretty much, you know, living the same life as us. So it's, yeah, pretty epic. Oh, yeah. We're so lucky. But we've got a little intro about her book just for anyone who's interested. So Going Under is a rare insight into the world of a trainee female medic that takes an unflinching look at the reality of being a doctor. It explores the big themes, life, death, power and love through the eyes of Dr. Holiday as she loses her identity and nearly her mind in the pressure cooker world of the hospital. But it is also there that Kitty might find her own redemption and finally know herself for the first time. Darkly funny, sexy, moving and shocking, going under will grip you from the opening page and never let you go. And legit, it does that. Mm-hmm. Mm. So much. So good. All right, so before we get into our spillities, we just want to put a little disclaimer here because these stories that we have today are pretty confronting and may cause some, you know, mental health issues for people that may arise. You know, things might come up that, you know, you resonate with these stories. So uh, if you are concerned about, you know, having some sort of issue with PTSD, maybe just skip along this part um, and get into the interview. But for anyone else, you can stay along and listen. Um, So um, my spill the tea for this week, we're keeping it on mental health related. Um, We're keeping with healthcare, healthcare. So we've both got a story, I guess, that kind of surrounds that topic um and mine's just basically one for people to i guess check in with themselves that 
maybe potentially experiencing PTSD. Um, so I was looking after a patient recently um, and he's actually now ended up at ICU. So he worked as a medic in Afghanistan. He was left with like severe PTSD. And this was like in 1987. I think he was there for multiple years um, to the point that now he is obviously a very heavy drinker because of that. And that's how he deals with his PTSD. And he's now ended up at ICU with hepatic encephalopathy, which basically means that his liver is failing because um, of the amount of alcohol he's drunk. And because of that, he then now has developed, I guess, encephalopathy, which is basically, you know, your brain doesn't work properly because your liver is not working properly. Um, and it really resonated and hit home with me because I feel like it's a very real situation that we could potentially be in. Because if anything was to happen in the world, if suddenly there was Australia was to go to war, you know, us as nurses, we would kind of feel an obligation to go and help and, as much as we want to help people, and obviously that's why we did nursing in the first place, you have really have to like check yourself and think about what you're doing and think about like, yes, I am helping these people. And obviously someone has to do it. I'm not saying that no one should do this, but you really have to go in there very strong because it can really take all of that home yeah. and it can really affect you. Not just like short term, like obviously this guy, it was many, many, many years ago and he's still affected by it. So yeah, yeah it just really resonated home with me and made me really kind of think about my own mental health with nursing. So yeah. check yeah. yourself before mm-hmm. you wreck yourself. Mm-hmm. We did an episode about that actually. Yeah, we did. A burnout episode. So yeah. definitely tune into that one. But as part of the mental health series, um, for my spill the tea, I want to talk about something that happened to me. So I was doing a placement in rural New South Wales, um, an emergency department and you just never can quite prepare for something like you do you have this idea like and things happen in emergency all the time but it just it just whacks it just comes out of the blue mm-hmm, you, see, it does. you just never know when it's going to happen and we had a a five-day-old baby come in um that had fortunately the mother had breastfed in bed and fallen asleep and smothered the baby and when she came in not only was it so shocking trying to resuscitate a baby who had clearly already passed and there was nothing we could do but a friend of mine was telling me she was working on that shift she was saying you have to do everything you can in front of the parent because it actually helps the parent cope with the grief Mm. and it was so traumatic having the mother screaming and crying and then I've got this baby that I'm you know I'm doing CPR on this baby because the paramedic handed over the baby to me and it was just so traumatizing and I could feel when I went home that I was just like in this really bad headspace and Mm. I made sure to reach out to colleagues and I reached out to EAP and for like a good three four weeks like it really bothered me but I continued with EAP and spoke about it and it just it so helped me and it's like even though I didn't feel it at the time but I knew I was like I need to start getting help because this is some traumatic shit that I've just been Mm. through and I'm so thankful that I like just checked in with some people listened to their advice and guidance and actually reached out to do EAP which is employee assistance program if you've never heard of that. Mm. So if you're in a healthcare professional, and I think it, it may even be in other uh, professions as well, you can get assistance and you get 10 free sessions a year of, of yeah. counselling with a psychologist. And I did them during COVID and it doesn't have to be work-related. It can be home-related. It can be life-related. Yeah. I did it when I had a like had my huge breakup. I reached out to EAP um, and we basically just discussed like trauma and things like that. Um, EAP and it was all online for me it was all like over the phone because it was COVID times but they do also have in-person sessions as well so anyone who yeah wants to reach out to that we'll also put the link in um, our show notes as well Mm -hmm. Um, but also for anyone else out there you know just reach out to someone if you're going through any of these things Um, but we don't want to have any sad notes to this podcast because it is a really really fun episode episode. Um, but it does just target some mental health and we're going to be doing this mental health series so we're just going to keep 
you know, reminding you to check in with yourself and make sure, you know, that your mental health is okay before progressing and listening to our podcast. Because we will talk about some heavy topics, but, you know, at the same time as that, we're going to, you know, contrast that with some fun topics as of well. Of course, of course. Because, you know, you just, got, you just got to get on with life sometimes. It's all about balance. Mm. <laughs> all right, guys. We hope you enjoy it. it. Bye. All right. Hey, everyone. We are joined with the most amazing guest today. Um, she is a best-selling author and her name is Sonia Henry and she is joining us. She wrote a book called Going Under, which we've already talked to you about in the intro, but say hey. <laughs> Hi, guys. Happy Hi. to be here. Oh, we're so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Before oh, we get into no anything, problem. though, we need to know your spill the tea of this week. Give it to us. Well, currently I am on holidays in Lisbon in Portugal. Um, I don't know if you guys or listeners have, have been to Lisbon, but there is this famous yellow tram called the number 28. Uh, anyway, so my best friend and I, who was here with me last week, had been out on a walking tour that was meant to go for two hours. But when you get to Portugal, you realise Portuguese time's a bit variable. So it ended up going for five hours. So... Obviously, oh we had to keep stopping off to have Aperol spritzes and rosés to sort of keep <laughs> us going through the historical journey through Lisbon. Anyway, we were on the other side of town because Lisbon is also a very hilly city. So it's like a 45-minute walk up a series of hills to get back to where we were staying. So we thought we'd give it a go on the number 28, the tram. And keep in mind, we didn't have masks with us because it's quite relaxed over here now. We also didn't have any money. We just had cards. So we get on the tram and the driver is yelling at us in Portuguese and we're like, no Portuguese, sorry. So they said, put your mask on. So we put our masks on. This is in a packed tram where everyone's sitting down except us two quite drunk Australian women standing up. And then he said, you have to pay. So we tried to pay with our cards, but they only accepted cash. And because there's no, we had no cash. So we were standing there and then the tram driver got so flustered that he proceeded to then drive his tram straight into a car, which wasn't funny. But as you can imagine, standing on a tram in a foreign country, well, it's just crashed into a car and everyone on the tram is staring at us. And so we just said, can we please get off, sir? So we opened the doors and screamed, I think get out in Portuguese. Meanwhile, we're in the middle of this terrible situation. I mean, no one was injured, thankfully. And then another man randomly appeared and said, where are you going in English? I don't know how he knew that. And we said, oh, we're trying to get back to Prince of Real, which we were saying. He said, you were going completely the wrong direction. So we were on the <laughs> wrong tram, going the wrong direction. <laughs> anyway, so this random man then leads us down this sort of dodgy looking alleyway. And I was sort oh, of no. thinking, this is where we die. Here. And then at, at, yeah, and then at the end of it, he just said, you've just got to go this way. And then got out a little map on Google Maps, showed us exactly where to go. And we got home and it was totally fine. But... Yeah, after that, I have not managed to get back on the tram. In fact, I have walked nearly 10 kilometres a day because I'm too scared to get on the number 28. So that is my ridiculous story of the week. There have been more, but that's probably my safest and cleanest one yet. I can't believe that was just recently too. Like That one's freaking gold. Did the tram go anywhere? Did it go anywhere? (laughs) Well, I just, I think the man got out of the car, everyone on the tram was kind of staring at us and then we just kind of disappeared. But I now every time I see the number 28, because they're kind of everywhere, I I keep (laughs) looking to see if it's the same driver. Oh, my God. He's going to try and hit you. I'm too 
I'm too scared to see him. But um, the tram seemed to survive. Apparently it happens quite a lot. The man was telling us who sort of found this. And I was like, okay, great. But, yeah, haven't managed to get back on the number. Not saying the number 28 is a bad tram, a beautiful tram, just not that particular It's a beautiful time. tram. <laughs> just backtrack. Don't want to offend yeah. anyone. Okay, the 28th fine. No. I love the country. I love, love the trams. <laughs> Beautiful. Just you've got to have money. Have your mask on. I mean, that was silly, but we were very relaxed. Like oh I said, the five-hour walking <sighs> tour, you know, things are taking a bit of a turn with the rosés and then the tram. Yeah, so just, wow. yeah, that's been my <laughs> silly incident this week. That is a fantastic spill to take. I know. That's I love that story. Wow. I want to be part of it. <laughs> Oh God, no! Problem. I, I wish I was to repeat that. <laughs> but thank God no one was injured. I mean, if yeah. I had died under the number, on the number twenty-eight, it would have just been kind of ironic, as it turns out. But anyway, no, it didn't happen. Still here, everyone's fine. <laughs> oh oh my God! <laughs> very amazing memory. Yeah, that's a very good story. <laughs> thank you for sharing that with us. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Obrigada, as we'd say here in Portugal. Thank you. Oh, uh, yeah, you took the spill the yeah. tea very seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah love it. Really took it yeah. home with it. <laughs> Or spill spill the tram, so to speak. But yeah, all good, all good. But don't spill the rosé. Don't do that. No. <laughs> no. I never want to spill a drop of my beloved, my beloved rosé yeah. Oh, oh my I'm God. just going to wipe all my tears off my face right now. <laughs> Pull yourself to get the chest. We don't actually use video today. <laughs> just voice, thank God. Oh, my God. So, yeah, whenever you feel like, when you feel like an idiot, like, just think of that because I felt like a real idiot. But anyway, all good, all good, all right. good. Makes for a good story. You got a lovely tan going on there. Yeah. Well, the weather has been very nice here. So, um, it's just, like, 26 degrees and sunny, like, every single day. Oh, so, my days jealous. are pretty um, pretty relaxed. It's so miserable. Really, really do much. It's so miserable here. It's, like, yeah, raining and cold. I I've heard in Sydney it's awful, so I'm quite happy to be in Europe. It's been um, it's been lovely. Yeah, very jealous. Well, it's my re- my rest life, as my mate said to me the other day. Live your rest life, and then you can live your best life. So <laughs> I'm trying to kind of, <laughs> but I was really stoked to get your Instagram because Aww. I actually really like doing podcasts with you kind of people, like as in you seem very similar to me. Yeah. Like you, you're making a go of it, and I'm very much a woman of the people. Like, Aww, I, thanks. yeah. So I totally, yeah. Good on you guys. I think it's excellent. Oh, thanks. My heart. <laughs> yeah, we um, yeah. I mean, I don't know if Jess, how much Jess has told you, but we both read. Actually, Jess read it first. Read your book first. I did. Yeah. And she doesn't read. Like she has ADHD. She cannot. <laughs> pay I can't attention. read. I probably. I've only it's really read like. Heartwarming. I've, yeah. I've read maybe in total like 15 books in my entire life. And oh, that's so good to hear. Yeah, and she was like glued to it. She'd be like down by the pool reading it, and she's like, "Oh my god, this part just happened." She's like, "I can't tell you because you're gonna read it next." Like it's so good. And then I was like, "I "I need to read it." And then I was crying. She's like, "Why are you crying?" And I was like, "This book is just so emotional, and I can't tell you why because I'm gonna ruin it." And then I was crying, and I was like, "I'm like, is this gonna happen when I start reading books? Am I gonna start crying?" No, I think I've cried in like yeah, maybe four (laughs) books in my life, and yeah, yours was one of them. So it was yeah, very good. I was very into it. That's that means a lot. Well, I've looked at your Instagrams and you both just remind me a lot of me so I was Aww. like these girls sound like total <laughs> fucking legends so I'm definitely gonna go on their podcast oh yeah I'm not a um if you haven't gathered already I'm not one of those like celebrity doctors like I probably could have given it a bit of a go when my book came out but like it just wasn't really for me like, so yeah so, who are the Australian I'm, celebrity doctors is there any Oh, oh, there's a few who write books and have very big like social media kind of presences and they do a lot of, I mean, I did like TV and radio when my book came out, but 
these are the kind of conversations that I like the most. And I'm much more of a kind of bohemian nomad really than I am. I mean, I am an advocate, but on a kind of personal level, I guess these days, Mm -hmm. like I'm not, um, yeah, I'm not politically driven particularly. I'm not, um, I don't know how to describe it. Like, like I said, I'm a person, if you want to sit down at a bar and have a wine and a, and a talk, that's more my style. That is, that is our style so too. Which yeah. Is, yeah. Why we have so a drink. I, that, so I was like, <laughs> yeah, I feel like we could become friends definitely. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. I just loved how it all aligned as well with mm. like how they posted oh, that. Meant to be. I was just like, and because it was just so happened that I was on the keep your gin up page. Cause we, we run three, like our personal page, our nursing page, mm. and then the podcast page. And I just so happened to be on the podcast page when I saw that. And when I commented, that could have easily just been my personal page, but I'm mm. so thankful it was actually our podcast yeah. page because then when they had commented and then they tagged you in it, being like, "You should yeah. be on their podcast." I was like, <laughs> oh no, it was it was it was super great. It was it was oh. it, was, it was just the, the stars aligned. It was yes. meant to be. I'm coming quite I'm going quite into the universe. Yeah, me too. Days, so me I was too. Like, yeah, <laughs> I think we all search for that when we're feeling <laughs> yeah. a bit lost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so no, like super stoked to meet you guys over the Zoom. Oh, thanks for being here. Love so exciting. It. We have been so excited all day. We both smashed out some big shifts at the hospital mm. and we're like, come on, let's just get home and do what we love. Yeah. We want you to tell us all about you. Who are you? What do you do? Where have you been in your life and what has led you to like this moment right now? Uh, really good question, actually, particularly this moment right now. Um, so my name's Sonia. I'm 36 years old. So yes, to all the mid-30s women out there who don't have children who aren't married, like, power to your sisters mm-hmm. let's live our best lives obviously if you want to do that no problem but just saying for the people who've chosen chosen the alternate path like I'm also on that path Love that. um I always wanted to write books my entire life um but I suppose there was a sense of book writing was a bit abstract um you know you don't sort of finish high school and think oh I want to be a writer I mean if I'd had the guts to do that I suppose I could have been but I sort of went down the more traditional. Um, so I was a physiotherapist for quite a few years before I did medicine. Uh, then I became a doctor. Um, it sounds like a weird thing to say, but I always still just wanted to write books. And in many ways, I sort of thought in my soul, I guess, I'm being very honest, that medicine was a bit of a plan B and plan A was always to write books. Um, took me 11 years to get my first book published. I wrote two before I wrote Going Under. Um, the first one I wrote when I was 19 and I just kept persevering. Um, but I suppose in that time I kind of became a doctor and medicine takes up so much of yourself and your life and your personhood that as much as even I tried to sort of be a writer first and foremost in my spirit, if I guess if you like, being a doctor really took a huge chunk of that. So I sort of had to reconcile with myself that I am a doctor, I it's a big part of my life now, but I'm also a writer. So, you know, when my book was published, it was kind of ironic because I was working full time, sitting my fellowship exams. I wrote it in between night shifts. There was no real break. I didn't. So I felt like in some ways I let myself down a bit and then I didn't truly enjoy this moment that I had worked and I'd wanted so, so badly. Um, and then it was sort of a bit taken up with all these other things, but then that's, that's life, you know, and I've come to accept that now. Um, and yeah, so after I became a GP, a few things happened, main namely being, and my book came out, namely being that I had my 
I suppose everyone's been through like a heart break. I didn't just go like I had my heart, I think, eviscerated, ironically, by a heart surgeon, which is kind of amusing, isn't it? Mm. Good good story. Got to give the people what they want. Um, And I disappeared into the middle of the desert for two and a half years. So I spent the last two and a half years working in the middle of the Western Australian desert through the Northern Territory, all through South Australia, uh, very remote parts of New South Wales. Um, and I developed a real, for the first time, I think, since I worked, a, a really strong passion for Indigenous health and for remote medicine um, and for my love of country, which I had never really felt before in Australia. So it sort of led me, this situation led me to these places I never would have gone Um and I then wrote a memoir about it, and I, as you do, and I sent it to my agent who sent it to my publisher, and now it's coming out in 2023. So, yep, and back wow. in Lisbon. Um, yeah, Lisbon has a sort of um, a part in, in the book for lots of different reasons, which I don't want to ruin it. But um, So I've come back here as almost a bit of a pilgrimage, I guess, to finish writing and and to, I think, accept a few things in my soul, you know, like, yeah, I think in life, particularly women, we're always told, tick a box, move on, do this, push it all down, push it all to the side, keep going, have a baby, get a job, be a wife, be a whatever. And we never sit with ourselves and just sort of go, you know what, like something really terrible happened to me. And even though I feel selfish because there are so many worse things happening in the world, it's okay to sit with those feelings, accept them, acknowledge them and forgive yourself for getting into these kinds of situations. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Makes so that much sense. So it's very powerful. powerful. Mm. Still, I love both at the same time. Yeah. Like, powerful. So the, the story. Everyone relates to that. Yeah. Don't yeah. they? We all yeah. relate to that. Yeah. So the story of going under, we won't obviously tell anyone the story of what that is, but is that somewhat based around your life as well as your second book that's coming out? Of course. I mean, Going Under is a fictional novel, but it was largely based on truth. I mean, look, I'd probably say 50% of it is true, 50% of it is made up, but the 50% that's made up has been based around other truths of other things that I've heard in medicine. Uh, The story arc and the character of Kitty Holiday is very much based around me. I think two and a half years ago or three years ago when it came out, I was frightened you know I'd sort of written quite a controversial book and I was really really worried about how it's going to be received and so I was very quick to be like it's fiction it's fiction but now I'm sort of a lot more inclined to be honest maybe I've developed more courage um and you know yeah a lot of it of course was based around truth and based around me and I feel like my second book is really a sequel to that it's just a bit more honest in that it's been written as a memoir I love that. I cannot wait for that. I actually cannot yeah. wait to read that. I'm so excited. Yeah, and I think like even though, I mean, you were obviously scared for it to be fiction, like for it not to be fiction and make people know that it's about you, reading that book, even if it was fiction, you can feel in the story that it's still like it has part of someone in it. Like you can just yeah. tell that it's not just a random written story. You can tell that there's like soul behind that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which is, that. yeah, Thanks, you're very Thanks. talented very how you get that across, yeah. Absolutely. It was so emotional. As I was telling you before, like in our little pre-chat, like I was bawling my eyes. Yeah. Like bawling my eyes. I had to have breaks because I was just like, I don't know if it's because we work in healthcare, but there was a lot of things in it as well that I was like, I related to. And I was like, this is deep. 
Yeah, it? it really hits home a lot of it, because especially, yeah. yeah, in terms of mental health, which is obviously what we want to talk to you about today as well. Um, but working in healthcare can really mess with your mental health, like in any scope of, oh. of healthcare. Um, and it really, in a major, major way, major, yeah, major yeah. way, yeah. Yeah, and it really targets that in your book as well, yeah. which I think, yeah, hit home for us because we've seen that. We've seen people go through, through things like that and yeah. it hits home. It's quite similar as well when you were saying, you know, you had a bit of a broken heart and it turned you into this bit of a, a bit of a nomad mm. for the last two and a half years. Like that's exactly yeah. what's happened to Zana and I yep. and put us on this big journey of like self-growth. Mm-hmm. And then we found yep. each other and we just became, you know, absolute like the strongest friends like I've ever had in my whole life. Mm. We were sisters, we're family. And it's all because we actually took that that step just to kind of focus, like what you're doing right now as well. You're just resting and you're just focusing on yourself, and that's exactly. And you like, know what? As soon as you said that, I was like, it takes, "Whoa!" It takes so much courage to do that. It yes. takes so much bravery and so much courage to instead of just trying to cover the truth of ourselves up with other things, we actually just go, you know what? And a lot of people find that going to places like the desert or around Australia or across the world, there are things that are bigger than us. And I think that helps to make us feel better. But yeah, I think a lot of people don't have the courage to do that. So good on us, you know, (laughs) power to us. Yeah. Yeah. But (laughs) I highly recommend that. Yeah. It's incredible what you see and what you experience like outside of a city and in those rural areas. Like you really... Yeah, you really appreciate your life a lot more and you understand, yeah, other people's lives. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I so related to that. I was just, I, had mm. to just, I had to pedal it back and just bring that up because <laughs> I was just like, hang on a minute. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. So good. All right. Mm. We can get into our topic now. Mental health. Mental health. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I guess kind of maybe starting off, like how do you feel that like I guess healthcare or being a doctor affects your mental health or the people around you? How did it kind of come out? Oh, I mean, when I was a junior doctor working in the hospital system, you know, I, I saw some very toxic situations. Um, uh, and there's a line in my book where I'm on a walk with my characters on a ward round and she says in her head, you know, just get me away from these horrendous people. And to be honest, that's exactly how I felt. Um, look, I want to preface this by saying some of my best friends are doctors. Some of the best people in the world I've met are doctors and nurses. But I think as we all know, there is a really toxic undercurrent in nearly all all teaching hospitals, in all areas of healthcare. I don't know why. Um, I don't know whether it's the kind of systemic bullying that comes from just historically in the profession. I don't know whether it's the stress. I don't know whether power-hungry psychos just like Mm. the power so they go into it. Like I've really considered these concepts deeply, obviously having – engagement like I said with a with a cardiac surgeon you know that was an eye-opener in terms of how these people think um and yeah I, I don't know what it is but I know that in teaching hospitals particularly there is this this really toxic thing happening and that's why so many doctors kill themselves that's why so many nurses doctors whatever we drink too much we take drugs we have inappropriate relationships you know what a lot of us pretend that we don't and I'm just like that is such bullshit because we all know how hard it is yeah um and yeah so that was sort of my junior doctor experience obviously then I wrote a book about it and became a GP to kind of get away from that and then I found the next thing I discovered was just particularly in rural Australia as a, as a health professional working there is immense human suffering, you know, particularly in Indigenous health. Um, and I saw some things, you know, particularly in the Territory that were just so 
horrific in a first world or supposedly first world country that, you know, and I remember getting home back to my parents um, and one night I just sat down and I started crying and I couldn't stop crying. And I said to my mum, I've just seen so much suffering that doesn't need to happen. And I think we take this on so much into our subconscious because we're told just get on with it, do the job, you know, just, just push it down. It's really bad for our psyches um, mm-hmm. and to some, like some extent, I think working particularly really for an extended period of time, you do develop some sort of PTSD because you see things that you really shouldn't be seeing in a first world country. Mm. Yeah. So I think men- mental health is inseparable from our jobs. As yeah. in, if you're going to go into this profession, you need to understand that your mental health is going to suffer and you're going to deal with it in probably one of two ways. You're either going to turn into a complete asshole or you're actually going to address it and try and do something about it. Yeah. And I think mine, like, I went through the exact same thing working in intensive care. It wasn't even rural. It was actually working in the city. And yeah, I was getting PTSD from working in ICU because yeah. it was just a really sad time during the first bits of COVID where everyone that was coming yeah. in was really sick, not even with COVID, just really sick. And we yeah. were losing so many people and their families weren't with them. And it was just, it was horrific seeing it. And it was just like, yeah, yeah it, it took a toll on me to the point where I was like, I actually don't know if, if I keep doing this that I'm going to have any emotions left to give anyone. So like I had to, that's kind of also as well as my heartbreak, what led me on to doing rural nursing. So I was like, I need a change. I need something different than what I've been doing because like I will burn out and I will lose myself in this process. So you really have to check yourself. Otherwise you will completely lose it. And we're so used to working all the time, right? So even when I got here, I was like, right, I've got two weeks and I'm, I'm registered to work in Ireland. So I'll go to Ireland and I'll do a few weeks work just because, you know, I should work. And it wasn't until my, I had this problem with my insurance and it's been a bit more complicated than I realised. And my friend said to me, she said, you know, son, why don't you just have a holiday? And I was like, actually, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And even then I was like, but I need to be writing. I need to be, and I actually got a text from a friend of mine who's an anaesthetist who I love, but. I mean, I'd been here for a week and he was like, have you got work yet, like in Ireland? How's your writing going? And I was sort of like, we're actually allowed sometimes to just stop. And, Mm. you know, and you know within yourself when you don't stop that you're just spiralling into a place that you don't want to go. And I I have been in that place Mm. now and I understand that I don't want to go near there again. Yep. Yeah. Proud of you for having a rest. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> drink, yeah. drink the rosé. <laughs> yeah. It's all right. You're allowed to like rosé. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, no, my, it's a love hat. No, it's actually a love love relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too much. But that, that's okay. I mean, Portugal is the home of rosé. So it's, it's a bit, yeah. I mean, it's tricky, isn't it? Yeah. But um, yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, of course, mental health. It didn't, I mean, like I said, I speak much more plainly now than I did three years ago when my book came out. Mental health in medicine, in nursing, in hospitals, in clinics, whatever, it's it's enormous. It's a massive problem and it hasn't really changed. Mm. Do you think, like, what what do you think would help change it? Like, what is it just, do you think people are just talking about it or is there ways that oh, can help? I mean, that's a question I, I'm, I'm interested to even ask you guys. Like, people ask me this a lot. Like, what do you, what's change? You know what change, where change comes from? It comes from high-level high systems change. Like, I can write books and we can talk on podcasts and people can write other books and articles. But in the end, it's good to talk about it. But talking only does so much, you know. There has to be actual things put in place, like open up training programs, make hours safer, 
don't let sociopaths run departments, you know, that sort mm. of thing. I think that's a good Yeah, that's, that's good a tip. really good yeah. one. <laughs> so, yeah, pretty straightforward actually, yeah. yeah. Jess found something online about your article yes. that you'd written about your anonymous piece that then blew up. Oh yeah, yes. yeah, well, yeah, Originally yeah, yeah, it was anonymous, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So it's called. <laughs> yes. It's called. There is something rotten inside the medical profession, and it went absolutely viral. With a title like that, it would. Yeah, it would. <laughs> so what happened? Like, were you just sitting there on night shift, and you just were like writing this like, amazing this. piece, and you're like, "How am I going to submit this? Yeah. I'm going to submit it." That's pretty much how it happened, yeah. Wow. So I'd been on a night shift at the hospital. I found out that one of the basic decision trainees had killed herself. The hospital handled it very poorly. I think we got like a two-line email. Wow. Uh, no one was allowed to discuss it on the shift. I remember trying to talk to someone and everyone was like, oh, we've still got to keep working, like pick up another patient, you know, this kind of bullshit. And I got home and I got out my iPhone. So I often write in my notes um, just because I don't have like a pen and paper handy on my laptop constantly on person, believe it or not. Um, and I just wrote it and I submitted it to an American blog called Kevin MD. And then all of a sudden I noticed people were sharing it. Like they were sharing it. Um, people who probably wouldn't speak to me in the hospital, you know, like, um, and I was like, wow, oh, this must have really resonated. Um, and then the Sydney Morning Herald picked it up and I think it's even been quoted in like papers of talking about healthcare and medicine and, um, and yeah, but even then I was still too scared to say that it was me who'd written it because I was working in the public health system. And, and also the other thing was I didn't want my name to, to it at the time because I knew then people would focus on me because they'd be like, well, she's just a resident. What does she know? Or mm-hmm. she, you know, hospitals are full of jealousy and politics and it was much better to be anonymous because then I just spoke for everyone or I spoke yeah. to anyone, mm. you know, it wasn't, it wasn't about me. It was about the issue and that's what I wanted. That's mm. what I've always wanted. Yeah. yeah. And is that what gave you the courage to then release going under? Like was that kind of, or had you already planned well, going under? I was already writing a book um, loosely, but obviously I had to keep having breaks because like I was working like a dog um, and I also had no money. Like I was always broke because every opportunity I was running off to Europe to try and escape my life as usual. Um, <laughs> so much has, so much has changed. Um, then, like, While you're sitting in Lisbon. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was like, uh, but, and, and you know, so um, but it certainly, I knew from a practical level that it had been shared very widely. So that would give me a bit of a platform, um, to attract a publisher and an agent. And, and, you know, it did and it, and it was very helpful and yeah. So, but also, you know, I'm, I think it was a gutsy move. I don't, don't, I didn't really think too much about it. I just sort of did it. Um, and yeah, I feel like, to be honest, like I think that was the article that started a lot of this movement in medicine, which I think a lot of people have forgotten. They sort of, there's all these other people coming out now writing books and that kind of thing. But look, also power to them. And I got a bit sick of being the face of dissent in medicine when my book came out because it didn't really suit me. Like I am an advocate, but like I said, I'm much more of a casual sort of advocate, I think. Um, as soon as you get too much into that kind of thing, you you have a bit of a target on your back and... You know, people start sort of putting labels on you that aren't necessarily you. And I actually just really like writing books. Um, yeah. And I like, I think you can t- reach a lot of people in that way that's quite personal without necessarily the big brouhaha around you and your life. And, you know, I'm actually, I've become, whilst I talk a lot and I'm very open, I've become quite a private sort of person in the sense that, um, 
I don't really talk about my relationship that I have now. I, I, you know, I don't really talk about my close friends. I don't talk about, um, I, I, I wouldn't do large scale, I think, interviews about very personal things anymore. Like you sort of choose to write a book and that's the bit of your life that you release. But that's sort of um, becoming it. Like my Instagram following is minimal. I don't really... I mean, I like Europe because it's, it's very anonymous over here. You know, I learned these things about myself. I think when you want to be a writer, you think I want to be famous, I want to be famous. But actually, I found the TV and radio and stuff, you know, very stressful. And, and, and like, I, like I had a bit of a target on my back. And, and medicine, as we know, is a bit mm. like that. People yeah. don't like it when you sort of put your head above the, the line that you're meant to kind of be under. Yeah. And, you know, and I heard some sort of, really nasty things from people that I thought I well to be I hadn't really thought about them for a few years but you know like I, I had a drink with a friend this is about a year or so ago and she said oh you know this girl in the ward round was saying that you should never have written that book because you were only in the hospital system for a few years and what would you know and she or you only got through residency because you flirted with your consultants and I was like oh god come on we'll have to find a bit of fun somewhere but um you know like and that was really hurtful and I was sort of like you know you don't know I'm, I mean I suppose in the end like it was kind of helpful because apparently the interns on the ward were like wow we're definitely going to read this book but um <laughs> I sort of yeah I, I don't want to hurt anyone like I just kind of want to hopefully make people feel less alone and um this sense of just trying to be myself and maybe help other people be themselves, I guess, in a system that's very difficult. Well, yeah. You're doing that. You touched yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And Thank to be you. honest, and I've got a lot of, you know, emails and, and correspondence from people that's been, and I sold a lot of books, you know, like it did really well and I was very pleased by that. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, with those people that, you know, made those comments or whatever at work, there's a probably a high chance that they're going home and reading your book. Like it's a lot of it is jealousy <laughs> and a lot of it is yeah. like they're comparing themselves to you and they're thinking like, oh, the, who's this person who's, you know, a doctor and also has a book. And it, it, a lot of that is jealousy. If someone was actually genuinely, you know, happy for you and happy for themselves, like they don't have anything on themselves, they would be happy for you. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I try and be really, I try and check myself because we all have the ability to feel envy and be nasty and, you know, but I have really tried now. I, you know, I, I'm happy for people when they're successful. I I think especially as women, we need Mm. to support each other, like genuinely, not in a tokenistic sort of way, in a genuine, this sort of way. Yeah. Yeah. They're the people you should surround yourself with. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. Mm. And I've made a conscious effort to do that. Yeah. So my friends and family are very supportive. Um, but yeah, that's so why I said, um, like I, of course I was going to come on this podcast because I saw <laughs> your Instagrams and I was like, oh, these people are my people. Like mm. totally. <laughs> <laughs> we are so lucky to have you. Seriously. Yeah. It made our day when we found out oh. you were going to come on. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, it's so, so scary. It's so exciting. I've been talking about this for weeks. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I was I was really stoked. I was like, yeah, this is great. I like the way it happened so organically. You know, yeah. it was excellent. Yes. Mm. Oh, so happy. Yeah. <laughs> so what are some things I think, like, have you seen or things that you do, I guess, in working in healthcare that you, like, do to check yourself and check your mental health and what do you actually do to keep your mental health on track? 
Um, so I've used, you know, alcohol in a really unhealthy way over the years. Um, <laughs> I mean, we all, we all <laughs> me too. Me too, babe. <laughs> You're being totally upfront. Um, so uh, that I've tried to sort of have, you know, like I really try not to drink every night, that sort of thing. Um, and I, when I was in the desert, I became really addicted to swimming and I write about that in my book where there's this in the pool, you know, I'm really present. And I didn't realise because I'm quite bad at meditating. I find there's so many things going through my head all the time that I, it's very, I think the longest I can practice mindfulness for is like four minutes, even though I'm telling my patients, no, Drew, mindfulness. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, no, what I preach. But I found swimming was extremely helpful. Um and just what we spoke about in the pre-chat, um, I had a sort of session with this amazing Lithuanian woman the other day in Lisbon who's sort of like a mind-body, almost like a hypnotist, I guess. And I'm not really into sort of woo-woo stuff, but I'm very interested in meditation. And and I said to her, look, I can't meditate. And she said, no, no, there is a thing called dynamic meditation and swimming is very much like that. So you're moving and you're doing something, but you're just in the moment, you're in your body. And I think in our jobs, we're always in our heads. Mm -hmm. We're always in our heads. And I actually had this real sense of my poor body. Like I think as women, particularly, we use our bodies as a vessel to demonstrate our success. You know, like we wear these sort of outfits or we're this size or we're this whatever. And we use our heads always thinking, but there's sort of this disconnect between our mind and our body. And I was like, my body is much more than just a vessel for clothing or to you know, it actually does amazing things. It walks, it moves, it takes me everywhere. And then I had this real sense the other day of thinking, my poor body, like, no wonder it likes swimming because I can just float, mm. you know, like we're so hard on our bodies and, you know, I, I yeah, so I, I suppose that's something I, swimming was very helpful. Um, and talking and writing, writing was always very a very big therapy for me, yeah. Mm. Keep doing it because I bloody love it. Yeah, <laughs> when you write. <laughs> thanks, thanks, guys. <laughs> oh, so good. We need to start taking some of this in because yeah. we are workaholics. Mm, I've been wanting to write a book oh, for so long. Yeah, so long, and I do you not should. have any time. He's got no time. You just. And look, and you know what? Now I finally have the time. I'm on holidays. I had this like block, and I couldn't write. Mm. I was like. What is going on? Like I'm here and I was like, maybe I need to work to write. I was like, this yeah. is insane. Like you are actually insane. Like you need to just, um, and yeah, then I sort of had this sort of session and then yesterday I wrote 5,000 words and Whoa. now I'm in the zone and I'm, yeah. I'm back in the zone, but you just need to give yourself, everyone has a book in them. I say mm-hmm. everyone does. Yeah. Um, you just need to literally give yourself the time and do it and just start doing it. Yeah, and then yeah. you get in the zone, and when you're mm. in the zone, oh, things happen. Yeah, it's yeah, actually really yeah. weird that you say that though, because like, sw- like I was thinking the same thing, like swimming and writing. Like, I mean, I do a lot of blogs and stuff, mm-hmm. but yeah, those are two things that like make me feel very calm, like when I'm doing them. It's just weird that you yeah. said that because I'm like, oh, I, I resonate with that. Mm. I think a lot of us are, are the very similar kind of humans mm. are not so different. I've started to realize it's just, <laughs> we have different approaches. And I think people who are honest about what their life is really like are the people you need to surround yourself with. The truth is important. Mm. Um, you know, it's important to be truthful. And I don't know. I've thought about this a lot. I think because of that terrible relationship I had, which was, you know, built completely on lies um, is that I've really realized because you think, well, what does it matter if you tell the truth or not? I mean, who's affected by the truth? But 
we have to be true to ourselves because we're the only people that we can be. And I think that when people are honest with each other, we meet on this level where we have a sense of human understanding and empathy. And that's the whole point of being human is to empathize and understand that mm. we do differently to other animals or mammals. We're mammals, right? Yeah, we're mammals. We're not reptiles. Some of us are. Um, no, no, I'm joking. <laughs> every time I think of mammals, I think of um, platypus. I don't know why, but every time I no, think so do I, so do I. That's so yeah, weird. Mammals? They're mammals, aren't they? They're mammals. I don't know. They're warm blooded. Yeah, but I just always think of platypus, like nothing else. Oh, I am not the one to ask this. You know how shit I am at this stuff. <laughs> no, I feel like they are mammals, but like they kind of, yeah. I think of platypus too. That's really weird. That's okay, weird. maybe it's a thing we were taught in school or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what the hell? Are we long lost <laughs> sisters? <laughs> Definitely not. I'm like the whitest bitch ever and she's so tanned. <laughs> well, I've been in the sun. Mate, um, she can't go in the yeah, sun, man. No. She gets crispy ass. <laughs> do you have any like funny ner- like funny doctor stories? Like give us a fun- – do you have anything that comes to the top of your head? Funny doctor stories. Um, well, when I was working in Broome, I had a patient come in and um, – this is quite funny, actually. And she said to me, she was actually my first patient I'd ever had. I don't know, Broome's quite a, I don't know if you guys have been to Broome. No. If you haven't, you must go. It's an amazing, it's an amazing town. It was a big part of my healing journey, but genuinely it was. Like, I've got great friends there. I was only there a few weeks ago, but this first patient came in and she said to me, what are you doing here? And I was like, I'm, I mean, I'm the GP. I was like, oh, you know, just. Just, just uh, seeing you, the patient. I was like, oh, just work. where are you from? I said, oh, at that time I felt kind of like I was from nowhere because I've been travelling around. I said, oh, well, you know, I'm from Sydney, I guess, but I sort of feel like I live everywhere at the moment. And she said, well, you've got to watch out and Broome. There's a lot of really weird people. And I was like, okay, yep, oh, anyway. And then she sort of brand, like launched into this story about her mother being very difficult. And I was like, oh, well, you know, mothers, parents can be tricky, families can be tricky, blah, blah. She said, oh, no, she's dead now. And I was like, oh, no, I'm really sorry to hear that. And she was like, no, no, it's a, it's a huge relief. And it was all thanks to Maureen. And I was thinking, who the hell is Maureen? Like, this is my first day. This is my first patient in this job. And she said, Maureen was apparently, I mean, I'm obviously changing names and stuff, was yeah. apparently like a palliative care nurse that used to get oh. around with her patients. And every time Maureen saw the patient, the next day they'd miraculously like go off to a better place. Oh, oh my I God. Like, so Maureen was essentially killing patients. And she was like, well, no, mum could be really difficult at times. And then we both just sat there and kind of looked up and I was sort of like, should I be reporting this to somebody? Like, I just, But apparently this has been many years ago, so I don't know whatever happened to Maureen. She's the old nurse to kill. Oh, my God. It was this really bizarre story that I sort of wasn't sure how to take. And then uh, but this lady seemed totally okay about it. And then the last thing she said when she left, she was like, you seem like a nice girl. But you watch out for the crazy people. Watch out for Maureen. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay, and that was my introduction to working in Broom. Wow. And then I was invited. Then I was invited to a drumming circle as well, which I found very flattering. I sort of my transition to Bohemian was totally complete. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I didn't go because it was open mic night at the pub. Oh. But um, yeah. So I've had oh, look. I've had lots of crazy things happen and. Well, as you guys would know, working around Australia, you, mm-hmm. you see some really random stuff. But yeah, um, it's also stories. wonderful and amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when I do go to Broome, because I will be going to Broome for sure, I'm going to be like, so, like, is there a nurse that, like, 
Is that not called Maureen? Her name's Maureen. I've never heard about it from anyone else. So I don't know whether, like I said, I've changed a lot of the details from the confidentiality, but I, I, I do wonder if maybe it was like a manifestation of this. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. But it was just such a weird way to begin. But then yeah. I was like, you know what? better than being normal normal's pretty boring yeah. i'm kind of into this like whatever. i want to do that to a gp no. now i want to just go in and be like tell them like this crazy story and see if they believe it <laughs> see how they react <laughs> well i mean i take people at face value so i was like oh yeah okay like, i mean i'm not for me to judge like my life's pretty <laughs> random like i wasn't gonna say uh, anything i was like oh okay well just yeah but um yeah so no i've had like i can't think of any more off the top of my head but yeah there's this and they're all in my book there's like yeah hundreds yeah yeah oh no there was like also the guy who came in and wanted um 60 repeats of viagra and i was like i don't think i'm even allowed i think medical will allow this Six, really repeats. Like, he's, how like, many in one yeah. he's like i don't want to i think he actually back. i think he might have complained about me because i didn't give him six repeats of viagra and i was like i think you're selling this like i can't give this to you i feel like this you're like a viagra dealer but anyway i was like <laughs> black Viagra. Oh, yeah. he pops yeah. like two a day he's like oh i need more <laughs> Yeah, you do see here. Yeah, I suppose in the room, and that is a privilege of being a GP, like one-on-one, you sort of um, hear these things and, you know, that you would normally never hear and it's this code of, I suppose, yeah, like they can just be honest with you and you can be honest with them and it's quite amazing. But, um, yeah, you do hear some wild stuff. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, and then you all get together and you talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You have to You've got to tell someone. We all change the names. We all change the names. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah, definitely some weird stuff. Very interesting there. So what is next for you? What, what does life look like for Sonia next? Uh, well, I suppose I'm still – I really like, like I said, remote medicine. I haven't – it wasn't just a bit of a, oh, I'll escape for two years, work remotely and, you know, go back to Sydney. Um, I think I'll spend probably the rest of my career working at least four to six months of the year in remote Australia. I'm really, really passionate about Indigenous health um you know on a more serious note like the gap isn't closing we have massive massive discrepancies between indigenous lifespans health outcomes and white people which is it's really a source of national shame um i actually had an article published about it in the australian uh a few weeks oh a few months ago now but um and then the rest of the time i want to live in europe um i love europe uh yeah and i think um I think this is sort of where I want to be for the next few years. So I can, I'm lucky in my job that I can do both. And then I want to write more books. Um, and I want to write more books without feeling guilty about writing books and not working all the time. So <laughs> yeah. that's the whole point of being a general practitioner is that you can sort of have the best of both worlds. Yeah. That's that awesome. Sounds very exciting. Yeah. I want to live that life. What? <laughs> you go girl. <laughs> well, it took a while to get here, but yeah, no, exactly. And I think, um, yeah, and just settle a bit. And, you know, it's been a wild few years for all of us with COVID. And, um, you know, also my mother's, um, I mean, she lives in Australia, but she's Ukrainian. So that's been quite a sad time for my family with what's happening, you know, there at the moment. And I was saying to my dad the other day, you know, I think we have to, not just as health professionals, but as humans, we have to somehow be able to accept there is terrible human suffering in the world, often caused by other humans. At the same time, there is great beauty in the world and wonderful people. And we sort of have to stand in the middle of that bridge and try and reconcile both because otherwise you'll go crazy, you know. Um, And like we were saying about working in ICU and that kind of thing and 
yeah, we, we have to be able to recognise that these two polar opposite things can both exist and we have to somehow find a way through, I think. Yeah. That's like the best ending wow. that I've heard. <laughs> that like gave me goosebumps. Like, yeah, get, that got me deep. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You're doing things to us. Though, you know? yeah. Otherwise you do go Speechless. crazy. And if we think a lot, you know, we feel or we feel so much. And then where does it all go? Like we have to try and just be and, and sort of accept these things because we can't all change the world. And God knows, you know, I've tried and write books and go here and there. But in the end, like the world will be the world. And, and we have to somehow learn how to navigate our way through that. Yeah. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, I can say on behalf of both of us, we are so yeah. grateful Thank that you, you so came much. on and spoke to us today. Yeah, where can everyone oh, find you? Does. And more importantly, where can we find your books? Yes. Um, so my first book, I think, is just still available. Actually, I saw it at Sydney International Airport when I flew Ooh. out three weeks ago. Oh, and that. I was well, stoked. That's me. I was like, <laughs> Do you know what I, yeah, I was actually <laughs> standing there looking around. Being like, <laughs> Like, no one knows. You're like, that's mine. And I was like, should I buy it? And then I was like, no, you've already bought enough of your own book at airports. Um, (laughs) And once I did ask a woman to take a photo of me, I was at Perth Airport. I think she thought I was lying. (laughs) It's pretty weird. Um, uh, Yeah. And so, yeah, so my book you can buy, Going Under is all, all is still on Amazon and Booktopia and Angus Robinson, Dimix. Um, Yeah, you can still really get it anywhere. My second book is coming out sometime in 2023 with Alan and Unwin, who are my uh, publishers. Um, and, yeah, so I guess I'll let you guys know. And, yeah, in the meantime, I'm still just going to keep editing it and going from there. Perfect. And if someone Amazing. wanted to, like, email you and just, like, reach out and talk to you about, you know, what they thought of the book, like, is there an email or anything that you want them to reach out to you? So the best way, I mean, look, I have a website, but I haven't updated it for three years. Um, People do occasionally message me through. I'm just, I'm technologically pretty hopeless. Um, Instagram is actually a really good way to reach me. So I'm just um, Sonny, S-O-N-N-I-E underscore H um, on Instagram. And I respond to DMs. That's probably the easiest way to, um, I do get messages through my website, which is fine. But like I said, I, I don't really update it or anything. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, Instagram's probably, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm certainly very happy to speak to people who, especially if you want to share any of your own stories about things that you've suffered or questions you might have about writing. Like I'm yeah, more than happy to talk. Perfect. Awesome. Thank Aww. you so much. Thank you so much. It's so great. Oh, sorry, guys. That's been great. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Drink all the Aperol and Rosé all for us, please. (laughs) (laughs) Will do. Will do. Mm. Well, I'll say obrigada, ciao, as we say here in Portugal. I've got a Portuguese lesson this evening, so I'll see how that goes. Um, Yeah, but no, thanks, guys. I've I've been love chatting. When I'm back in Australia, we'll try and arrange an actual Rosé in person. Yeah. What is it? Obrigada, ciao. <laughs> She's like, yes, no. we say obrigada because we're women. In men, oh, we say obrigada. So, I've got a genderous sort of language. It's very, quite a beautiful language. Um, but yeah, so obrigada, ciao, I guess I'll say. Obrigada, ciao. As well as love, <laughs> love life, life, and laughter. laughter. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs>